Hi, this is And Then Some, a podcast from Solomon McCown and Company, where we discuss all things integrated communications. You're listening to episode number two, an interview with Solomon McCown president and crisis communications expert, Ashley McCown. We're asking 16 questions to celebrate the firm's 16th year. So without further ado, let's get into it. Welcome to the podcast, Ashley. Hey, thank you. Glad to be here. And uh, thank you for having me here <laughs> as an employee. <laughs> it's our great pleasure. We're the lucky ones, <laughs> Helene and I. Uh, so with, let's get into it. How did you become interested in crisis communications? How does one get into crisis work? Well, in my case, much like my entire career in PR, uh, I sort of fell into it. So the first major crisis I worked on was with Helene many years ago, um, Sadly, it was the shootings at the Planned Parenthood Clinic in Brookline. That was December 1994, a New Year's Eve day. I like to start small, but we got <laughs> hired and she said, come on, we're going to the clinic. And we just dealt with everything we needed to. And so I learned so much then that has continued to inform all the work I've done since. Wow, trial by fire for sure. No kidding. What skills, um, it could be hard or soft skills, do you think make for a successful crisis communicator? Yeah, I like that you said um, hard and soft because it, it is both of those things. Um, but first and foremost, you have to follow your moral compass um, through anything you do in crisis communications. You really need to follow a course of what feels right to you and to trust your gut. Um, because at the end of the day, for us, we're working with organizations, we're representing them to the press, and it's also our reputations on the line. So um, that's how we, we begin and end uh, every engagement. I think in terms of skill set, there's there's a lot, right? There's the ability to come in and establish trust right away with an organization that's in crisis, the ability to ask hard and direct questions that sometimes clients don't want to answer, but we need them to, so we can provide our best counsel. You need to really look at a 360 degree view of all audiences that were, are going to be impacted, not just the media. You have to make hard decisions in really hard dynamics with many voices around the table. You have to, and you also have to be able to drive consensus to reach a decision. Uh, I think you need to be both tactical and strategic. So what do we need to do to get through each day while showing the client there's part of a strategy that's going to get them to a better place? And I mean this in, in a very respectful way, but there's also a place for a sense of humor. Um, mm -hmm. There are times when a good laugh can decompress a hard day or a really difficult situation. So the ability to, to bring humor and outside perspective somehow becomes part of the special sauce. <laughs> and it sounds like you really have to know how to keep your cool under pressure for sure. You do. I think one of the reasons I think I found what I love um, was just that reason to come in and create balance in a structure um, to have my guidance looked upon and to feel that, again, we're not the organization that it happened to. So we are able to be hopefully objective while also being compassionate. Um, but you have to stay, you do have to stay cool under fire always. Wow. What has been the most rewarding and, and maybe the most challenging part as well <laughs> of building? Two sides of the coin. Exactly. For you, of building an agency. Yeah. So I think a couple of things. Helene and I, you know, built this agency to work with category leaders um, in nonprofits, in healthcare, in housing and real estate, to work on substantive issues in public affairs and crisis communications and to have dedicated practices there where we can really shine. And I feel by and large, we've done that. The other incredibly important part, and you're a part of this, is to find really awesome talent that wants to work with organizations that are making a difference. 
that want the opportunity to spread their wings and get pushed beyond their comfort zone and have responsibility um, to do really, really excellent work. And we're really fortunate to have fantastic people like you um, to be part of a team that are helping us do that. Oh, thank you. It's all true. Yeah. No, when I, whenever I'm interviewing people for, for my team, you know, that's part of what I, what I share with them is that, you know, it's just a great team of really smart people and uh, we all get along fabulously and, and help one another out. Totally. It's a very collaborative environment. Yeah. I mean, people here really like each other and they like working together and you help each other out. And I think when we go home at the end of the day, that's something we always feel really good about. And no, no day uh, is the same. So <laughs> thanks to crisis communications. Find me one person who's ever been bored a day in their life here, <laughs> please. So Ashley, who inspires you? <laughs> I have a lot of people and I think different ways that I have drawn inspiration over the years. If I start with my family, both my, my mom and my stepdad, um, who uh, has been part of our family since I was six, but Bill was born in... Uh, in Holland and left Rotterdam, which was destroyed during the war, um, after the war was over and literally got in a boat and came to America and made his way in the world. So he believes in the American dream. He's an entrepreneur and a very successful real estate developer. So I grew up with that. Um, my mother, who was born in the Midwest, who probably by the time she was in high school said, this is not where I want to spend the rest of my <laughs> life and set her sights on New York City, both for college. Um, and that was a real battle with my grandparents to get the okay to do that. And ultimately, she moved there and was a runway model and model for many of the big designers at the time. So I took from that that you can pretty much do anything you want if you set your sights on it. Um, and I'm very grateful for that. I'm grateful that I have a great business partner and friend uh, with Helene, um, who inspires me, someone who came from New York and after school here ran for office twice and has launched several uh, successful businesses. And to have that as a partner and a great friend, I feel very fortunate for um, I go back to my high school physics teacher, Mr. Alcori, who taught me I may not love physics, but I can be successful in it and <laughs> taught me a love of learning. And last but not least is for anyone who knows me, I love my dogs, our dogs, Guinness and Oreo. Oh, and Guinness and Oreo. They are sweet and funny. And I think they show you with a wag of their tail that you can find joy in the small things. Um, Oreo is a pit bull and um, I have found a real passionate advocacy around that breed because there's no such thing as a bad breed. Um, and she's a happy dog. And so I take inspiration from silly stuff like that as well. It's great to come home and, ha and see their little wagging tails. and They love you. They don't care what kind of day you had. Puppy yep. kisses. Always loved. No judgment. Well, we're, we're certainly all inspired by um, you and Helene and um, seeing your partnership and, you know, being mentors for us. Oh, um, thank you. It's very important. Yeah, we feel very lucky. We really do. So what types of, of crises um, that you work on are, are the most challenging? So I think there's a, a couple ways to look at that. One, certainly um, anytime there's serious injury or loss of life. And so we're working with an organization that is grieving um, is very hard because we're sensitive to that while also being mindful of external pressures, me media deadlines, commentary on social media, and, and our need to um, move the ball forward and do what we need to do. Um, we've done a lot of work with colleges and universities, as well as secondary schools around Title IX complaints and sexual assault and allegations of sexual misconduct, which is really, really hard. Um, hard subject matter, difficult conditions to um, provide counsel to organizations mm -hmm. that need to be respectful of the survivors. Um, and their position while also helping them to try and advocate for their position with the press and, and sometimes 
supporting that um, from a legal strategy standpoint. So those are those are really really challenging. And I think certainly any crisis that starts on or is you know, the fans are flamed on social media, as you and I know, because we talk a lot about that together for mm-hmm. clients. Um, social media has just added a layer of complexity to everything we do from a crisis standpoint. Yeah, certainly. Um, you know, of all the experience you've had working with different types of organizations, what would you say makes for a good leader in a time of crisis? Someone who's willing to make the hard decisions when they need to be made. Um, a good listener. You know, it's you make good decisions by taking in a lot of information and ultimately taking that responsibility to, to make the calls it needs to be. A good leader is willing to acknowledge their organization made mistakes or could have done things differently. Mm-hmm. Um, I think you need to sometimes be able to apologize for that and do it in a way that's not going to bring additional legal exposure to you, but an apology can be a powerful thing if done um well and honestly and truthfully, uh, and compassion. You know, I think uh, when you're on the firing line, you were truly tested as a CEO and as leader, and that is how people look up to you and they want to see how you're going to react and, and respond in times of crisis. And that can become your hallmark if you were true to yourself and willing to to make hard calls. Yeah, as we know, there are certainly plenty of leaders that... Um... Way too many. <laughs> don't, don't do the right thing. Absolutely. Have you ever turned down... A, a crisis or work because it, it went against your morals or something that you believed in personally? Absolutely. Look, you know, we have to believe in the organization, the person, and, and good people can make mistakes. So that's that's not a judgment call um, per se, but we need to believe um, that we're being, that those we're working with are being honest with us, mm-hmm. um, not trying to hide. If you're hiring us to spin your story or lie or cover up for you, go hire somebody else. We don't do that. So you have to believe very much um, that you can both help that individual or the organization and that they're going to be honest with you throughout. So what are some of the benefits of developing a crisis plan for an organization and and crisis training your leadership? Yeah. So people that know me are probably going to be sick of hearing this, but I really believe that it's not a matter of if, but when, when it comes to a crisis impacting your organization. I'm equally strong in my belief that just about any crisis can be planned, anticipated, and planned for if there's an organizational commitment to do so. And so to protect your organization's bottom line, its fundraising, its reputation, its stock market price, have a crisis plan in place, use it often, and exercise it. Um, It's going to be part of what we're going to talk about next week uh, at a conference that PR News is hosting on crisis communications. And I'm part of a workshop that's talking just about that, media training during crisis uh, management. And my opening salvo is that is, you know, foundational to an organization. It should not be situational. Fantastic. What is, speaking of which, are there, can you think of uh, perhaps, you know, what, is one of the biggest crises that you've seen happen most recently that you think stands out? Yeah, there's a lot to, uh, sadly, sad to say, a lot to choose from. I think one that's sort of interesting to watch evolve right now is what started as an issue with elected officials in Virginia around blackface that you've now seen move across into the fashion and retail industry. Um, so Gucci had a sweater, as you know, that uh, was recently pulled from the shelves that mm-hmm. had blackface and a piece that was pulled over your mouth. There was a pair of uh, Katy Perry designed shoes um, that was equally pulled off the shelf. So anyone out there right now considering using blackface in any design on a t-shirt, a pair of shoes, a purse, stop and take it off the shelf. Simple as that. 
don't do it. It's never, it's never okay. Just don't do it. Just don't do it. Um, so I guess, um, you know, if you could work with any organization and, and knock on wood, I'm not, you know, hoping <laughs> that they have a crisis. Is there a dream client for you? You know, I'm, I'm somewhat superstitious um, in this business, so I'm not I'm not going to do that and uh, and jinx <laughs> it necessarily. Um, but I think the what I take away from from every client we've worked with is a profound appreciation for what we achieved together. And I hope that we can continue to breathe that to um, corporations and organizations that can benefit from what we've learned over the years. Well said. All right. Okay, so now we're going to do a little bit of a lightning round. We like to have a little fun with our interviews, all so right. it's not all business. All right, so um, you ready? Ready for this? <laughs> ready as I'm going to be. Okay. Um, this is one that we ask in our staff meetings of new staff members. Uh, are you a pirate or a ninja? Arr, I'm a pirate. <laughs> I'm a pirate too. <laughs> Definitely swashbuckling. Salty or sweet? Salty. Invisibility or super strength? I want super strength. Okay. I definitely would go with invisible because I just kind of like to sneak around and listen in on people's conversations, see if they're talking about me. So you're a ninja. <laughs> I guess, Well, I guess in that way I am a ninja. We'll be a good team. <laughs> Texting or talking? Oh, talking, please. That's what telephones <laughs> were originally for, talking. Big dogs or small dogs? Yeah, we're big dog people. I'm not going to say Guinness or Oreo. No. Both. <laughs> Both. <laughs> is there a nickname your parents used to call you? There's not. And here's the reason why. My mother named me Ashley and thought that there's no way someone's going to come up with a nickname for that. She was wrong. <laughs> Most of my friends do in some form or another, but never my parents. Favorite thing to Instagram pictures of? Uh, anyone who follows me um, knows that I love to do a fun photograph of my Friday night martini wherever I am um, yes. using different glasses and locations. Next favorite <laughs> subject would be, not surprisingly, Guinness and Oreo. <laughs> Is uh, favorite U.S. city besides the one you live in? Uh, besides Boston. Um, New York has a piece of my heart, as does Miami, yeah. where I grew up. up there. That's right. And you'll be there next week. You betcha. 80 degrees. Bring it on. All right. Well, fabulous. Thank you for, for playing along. And <laughs> I've really enjoyed thank it. Thank you for your time, Ashley. Nice talking with you. All right. This has been uh, another episode of And Then Some, and we're signing off. 